So our scripture today is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. join me in prayer. Father, as we look to your word, may the words of my mouth be useful to your people and bring you glory and honor and praise. Amen. So I do have an obsession to admit to you all today, and this obsession is the beginning of its season of obsess. I now follow NFL football way too much. The date has been set for my fantasy football team. And actually, in my friend's fantasy football league that he lost last year, yesterday I spent three hours videoing him for his punishment video, where he was dressed up like a big bumblebee and going all around Trenton, interacting with people and dancing, because we're remaking a video. If you ever were aware of the Blind Melon song, No Rain, and you remember that video, all the Gen Xers just knew that. He's redoing the Bumblebee Girl. I videoed that, and my wife and I came up with the idea for it. There's such an obsession that we even humiliate ourselves over this game. This game where these men, these gladiators, they beat each other up and walk beaten and battered and hobble the rest of their lives over this game. And yet, I ignore the pain in their future life because I am thankful that they're willing to do it so that I can say, fly, eagles, fly, and usually be a little disappointed by the end of the season. But I was, as I was following this, this annual obsession, I came across a little clip, a video, a video from Demario Davis. Now, Demario Davis is probably about the, he's a top 10 linebacker in the NFL. And the only thing that I don't like about him is that he, he's not playing for the Eagles. He's a great guy. He has a great story. But when I was expecting to hear him talk about his life of football, he talked about something else. And I was, I was just really taken in by this, his, his story. And that's why I think it's a good lead-in to what we're going to be talking about with this 
passage from Ephesians because he talked about when he was a freshman in college at Arkansas State University. He's a scholarship player, and he and some friends just made bad choices. They made some bad choices. They decided to steal some groceries from Walmart. Got arrested. His coach had said something earlier that week about if you, if, you, if you steal something, you are a thief. And he's like, I've done it. He's sitting in that jail cell, and he's thinking, I've just lost everything. Well, coach had some mercy. As you can expect, a coach would have mercy. He suspended him for a game and made him apparently run a hill for quite a few hours. And he got some time to think about life. And he said shortly after that time was when he encountered and he gave his life to Christ. And he said before that, he was just living life for himself. He was living life rudderless. He was living life directionless. And then when he came to Christ, he says, so when you hear me come up, and he's a 15-year veteran, or 12-year veteran of the NFL, when he comes up and gets a chance to speak in front of a microphone, he says, all glory to God, or I thank God for this. He says, these are not light words. These are not just tropes. He told about how his life took a different direction because he gave his life to God. And now Christ is his true north, not his success on the field, not his personal earnings, not his reputation, but because as he, in his own words, he said in Christ, he now can live for something bigger than himself. And I thought, what a beautiful picture, a beautiful story. Of course, I forwarded it off to a bunch of my friends is what we do with the internet but I just was captivated. And as I was then preparing this, this text, this sermon, I think one of the keys to this whole entire book is verses 9 and 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment. So what is this mystery? What is the mystery that has been held away from the angels' eyes, not known in the Old Testament's uh, prophecies? What was this mystery that was only revealed in Christ? To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. As I was researching this, it seems like that the, uh, the letter to Ephesians, first of all, may have been written to Laodicea at some point, and then somehow it just got changed. There are some people that doubt whether the Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians or not. And to be honest, that doesn't matter to me. It's in the scriptures. It's scripture. Uh, if it was written by somebody besides Paul, that doesn't change for me that it's in the canon, in the Bible, and it's God-given. And it is kind of uniquely written because if you look at Paul's other writings that are really known to be Paul's writings, um, he's very short and choppy and very urgent. But that's probably when he was writing while he was traveling, writing on the mission field. But this letter was written when he was in jail. When he was imprisoned in Rome, and I can, I, I can tell you, I don't know what it's like to be in jail, but I can imagine you might have some time on your hands. I can imagine, since you're just kind of under house arrest or trapped in a cell, that you just have time to ruminate. And so this letter, this Ephesus, Ephesians letter, is so poetic. It's so beautiful. It's, so, it, it, it's, it's more of an anthem and a poetry of praise of theology rather than just an, a, a, an address to a church of here's who you are, here's what the problem is, here's what's going on. In fact, this first opening greeting 
isn't about the church and what he heard about them. It's not even about the people at all. It's about God and what God has done for us in Christ. What God has done for us in Christ. One of the things that is unique about Ephesians is that it is a, a, it's a higher level of Greek. Uh, I, if you've not studied Greek, you are okay. I had to. It was forced upon me. I checked the box. I completed it. And then I know people who love it. And when I need to know things about it, I call those people who love it, and they get so excited because they get to talk about Greek to somebody. And I, I essentially made their day, at least that's how I think about it, because they help me understand some things. That, that verse 3 through 14 in your English text is a couple paragraphs, many, many sentences. In the Greek language, it is a singular sentence. Not because they just didn't know how to break it off and have a, a, avoid a run-on, but because this whole passage, this whole Sentence is a single idea about what God has done. It starts off with praise be to God and ends with the, to the praise of his glory. It's in the bookends of all praise to God. Why? Because in Christ. If I, I, I looked through a translation of this text by N.T. Wright, and he, he changed it uh, in Christ. He was like, he highlighted by emphasizing it by saying, in the king. In the king. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's blessed us. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in the king. Think about that. Now, the other thing is I got to make sure that, that you highlight is that um, I did learn in Greek that there's a difference. And there's, it's, I use my southern vernacular. There's you and there's y'all. If I can speak to the Delco people, it's yous. Some duck would be like, what else is there? <laughs> use guys? Is it use or use guys? I don't know. Ewan. Now, Ewan's, that's Pittsburgh, isn't it? I think so. I'm going to look it up later. But here's the thing. This letter is to y'all. This is letters to use guys. It's plural. There's not a single you singular in this text. So this letter that was written to a group of churches to be circulated amongst the churches is to tell them, hey, I've seen from the top of the mountain. I've, I've gotten a glimpse of the whole map. I've seen, uh, N.T. Wright talked about this. As, I guess there's this big Ferris wheel called the London Eye. And apparently if you get up into the London Eye, it takes like 30 minutes or 40 minutes to go around once. It's such a big Ferris wheel. And these big uh, containers, these, these gondolas that are attached to it have a, a full 360 view of London. It is the preeminent premier place to take in all of London. And he said, Ephesians is the London eye to what God is doing. Ephesians is that, that, that top of the, the Empire State Building, the, the Sears Tower. Or actually, if you go to the Sears, don't go to the Sears Tower. Go to the John Hancock Building. It's a much better view. But it is that view so you can see the layout, you can see the grid, you can understand how this whole thing comes together. Ephesians is that glimpse for us because we are not on that mountaintop, are we, in life? We don't always know what's happening and why things are happening and where things are happening. And often we just long to want to know why. I think that is such a beautifully human question to ask. Why? Why, Lord? Why did this happen? Why didn't that happen? Why did you answer a prayer this way, but it feels like you didn't answer a prayer that? And we are held captive by our finiteness. We are held captive by our limited perspective. 
Some of us have the uh, advantage of being quite clever, quite smart and brilliant, that gives us the illusion that we should have access to why. That we, in our own faculties and abilities, should have access to the John Hancock building or the London Eye view of our lives. But friends, if you've lived long enough, you know the truth. We do not have access, do we? We do not have the little blue line like in Google Maps that tells us where to go and which turn to go. We actually just have to walk. And when we hit a, 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 a divergence, we have to choose without aid of anything but what? Ourselves, maybe the support around us, and a trust that God will lead our steps if we commit our paths to him. And then we take that step, and we take this path, and we run into adversity. We run into a path. I saw a clip of somebody, I guess a, a bridge washed out in China, but it washed out right as people were driving, and ooh, went right over. And sometimes we feel that's the way our lives actually are. We're, God, we prayed. We asked you to direct us, and all of a sudden you led us to a bridge that's washed out in life. Or you led us to a hill that we have to climb. Or you led us to a hill that dead ends, and now we have to forge a new path with nothing but our instincts, and we have to trust that God will be with us. You see, I think it's good that we have this Ephesians view so that we can give hope for our lack of personal view because we can't always answer why. And I invite you to come to this place in time in your life where you can let go of why. Now, I just challenge you to let go of why. I must also confess to you, I probably won't. I can't help it. I just want to know why. I just want to know why it all happens. But then I had come back to praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Now, I don't possess them all, and you don't possess them all, but apparently, together, God gives us what we need as we need it. And he will bless us with what we need, and he will be complete about that. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. You know, that's one of the things that we see that the Apostle Paul, or, or, or whomever chose to write it, but that Paul said that his orientation to this, this bird's eye view is that God is the one who's acting. Now, we can get bogged down in the predestination issue, what, who this, why that. Let's, let's avoid that trap. Because if we do get down in the mire of that debate, we're going to miss the fact that there is a God of the universe who's active. There's a God who's involved. There's a God who sees and knows and identifies you and calls you, names you, welcomes you. It says here that he adopts you to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance to his will and pleasure. He's chosen us to be blameless in his sight. And as we just did a little bit earlier, we confess that we are not blameless. And many of us have been Christians for a long time. We have been God-fearers, God-followers, Jesus-identified, baptized members of his community for a long time. And I still know you well enough to know that you don't have it together, do you? That we have to come to a time of confession every week with an actual list. You figure we'd get it figured out by now, right? No, we don't. For those of you that are new to the faith or re, 
reawakening your faith. Don't worry. It's a good long road, and God will be with you. And so will we. But don't ever think that you just need to get it all worked out so that you can impress God. Because he's already impressed. Because you're his kid, not because of your obedience. You're his child. You're his daughter. You're his son. Why? Because he chose you. He chose you. He chose you to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. In his love, he predestined and adopted us into his family. And it all works out according to his will and pleasure. He made us to be the praises of his glorious grace in which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You know, first he chose the people of Israel. He chose the people of Abraham. He chose uh, an unlikely path. Abraham, who could not have kids. Then we have Isaac. Then we have Isaac, who has a couple kids, and he chose the younger one, the lesser one, the deceitful one of all. Time and time again, God chose the weak, chose the unlikely, chose the one that you would not expect. He chose David, who was, when, the, when Samuel said, Jesse, gather your sons, David wasn't even on the list. He was too small. He was too young. Clearly, the next king is going to be one of the older boys. Oh, but God chose David. Time and time again, God chooses the unlikely. And I wonder why that is. And I remember I had a conversation with a, years ago, I had a conversation with a student who was studying astronomy. And I said, I don't know what my sign is. And he said, that's not astronomy. <laughs> I, I felt stupid at that point, so I did less talking. But I found out that he talked about astronomy and he, he, pit, he, he, he was the, one of the first people to ever tell me and help me grasp just how large the universe is and just where we are located in the universe. We are located in the farthest off, least dynamic corner of it. We are, not, we are, we are an insignificant little dot in the universe. And for him, that was a sign that there is no God. And to me, I was a sign that, like, no, that seems to be how he works. God chooses the weak things. God chooses the lesser things. God chooses the unlikely places so that when he cooperates with and includes us in, and he manifests himself in and through us, who gets the glory? Who gets the recognition? Who gets the, the sign that shows what a merciful and loving and faithful God? He does. And he also then elevates that which is insignificant to the, to the prime seat of significance. Not based on merit, but based on love. This is who we are. This is what we need to hear. Because when we are down in the weeds of walking the path that God has put us on, and we don't have a, a, a knowledge of where to go, it's good for us to remember that there's a bird's eye view that tells us that all things are are being drawn in and healed and renewed in Christ. We look at a world full of chaos from our vantage point. So we hang on to the hope that we have a God who's creating order in the chaos, who's pouring out love in the hatred, who's bringing peace to the violence, who's bringing healing to the wounds, who's bringing love to those who cannot even love themselves. He's doing this in Jesus, to the praise of his glorious grace. In him, we have redemption. He paid the ransom. 
He paid the ransom that had us far off from him that now brings us near. He bought us with the price. And that price happened to be through his blood. He gave us the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. Again, this is poetry. This is long. This is high-level Greek. This is... This is uh, he spent time thinking about what he wanted to say before he put pen to paper. Lavished is not an embellishment. This is not a middle schooler saying something that's extreme just so that you get the idea that they're talking. Sorry to my middle school. Oh, she's asleep. She doesn't even know. Oh, I'm going to pay for that later. No. When, when Paul says that God lavished on us his grace, it's because he poured out his fullest now we're getting to the crux of the matter here. He lavishes on us with all wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is the right knowledge of how to make good choices. But understanding, the Greek words there, talk about knowing how to actually live well. It's the practical. With the, with the intellectual and the practical. So that we might live a true, full, and wise, and good life. He's giving us the equipment in the mystery. Now, this isn't a mystery like, ooh, it's spooky or mysterious. It's just been hidden. It's been hidden and unknown. That he purposed in Christ to bring all things in heaven and earth under his rule. Will that happen immediately in our lifetime where we see all the threads tied together? Probably not. But we hope and long for the day when it is complete when it is finished, when everything has been made right and every tear will be wiped away and all pain and suffering will be gone. We long for a day where that is, but I encourage you not to long for it in a way that you can understand. Why would I say that? Why would I not want you to understand? Again, put us back into that position where we recognize we are small, we are finite, no matter how talented we are, we are limited. And so if we try to set up an understanding of how God is going to bring everything together so that we can see it happen, that is probably too small of a plan. That is probably too small in scale and scope to really tie all the threads together. What I'm saying is God's grace is way more complex. I'm, I'm saying that his ways are higher than our ways. Oh, now I start echoing the scriptures again. We can agree with it, right? Before I was starting to insult you, saying, I can, I can, I can handle what God can bring it. But then I re we recognize, no, God's ways are going to be high complex. When you look at this world and you go, where's it going? How can this ever be redeemed? In this country right now, we hate each other so deeply. We don't trust each other. We somehow put ourselves on the seat of the throne and, and, and feel the right to judge our neighbor as evil or not. Really. Okay, I'm, I'm saying that about me. Oh, when I get worked up after a podcast and I'm on the road, oh, I'm filled with all sorts of wisdom and judgment. It's foolishness. If we think that we can grasp how God is, or it's kind of like a beautiful painting. Those uh, impressionist paintings. I kind of like art sometimes and I don't really understand it well enough. And if some of you know how to understand art better, take me to the museum and teach me because I want to know. But I know that there's some pieces of art where when you get up close, it just looks like a mess. 
And then as you back up, and then you back up, and you back up, all of a sudden, it comes into clarity, doesn't it? I remember I went to the Dali Museum, and some of these paintings that were famous and known, I didn't realize that they were like 13 by 13 paintings, and that when I look at it online, I can barely see these other things, because in, in the shadows of the paintings, almost like watermarks, but it's not watermarks, it's painted, are these other paintings within the painting of the painting? Yeah, we know the man was crazy, but in a, such an amazing way. Plus, he had a nice mustache. <laughs> the thing is, we don't have that vantage point. We're just, we're just we're right up at the paint. Remember, you're at the paint, and you can't see what God is weaving, what tapestry he's making, what strokes of paint we are in his painting. So let us take a step back. Let us take a step to just trust that God is doing what he wants to do, even when all looks like it's lost, even when everything doesn't make any sense to us. Why would God allow us to just be? Well, because he has. Why would God allow that person to hurt that other? Why would God allow the vulnerable? I don't have answers for that, and I've wrestled with it for a long time. And I can understand somebody saying, I'm out. I get it. I understand. But I would encourage you, don't quit because you don't have the vantage point yet. Don't quit because the evils of this world, which God did not say he was going to stop it from being evil. We kind of think that if God was truly loving, he would just make everything just kind of slightly evil. Just enough pain to get the point across that we need him. No, he, he let evil go. I don't know why. I don't have a satisfying answer. Often through these things, my most satisfying answer is that God is with you through the time. And I can understand when some people are like, yep, in the time I'm in, that's not satisfying. Not good enough. I get it. But I come back to this hope and this trust that in Christ, in the King, he's bringing unity to all things in heaven and on earth. Because in him we were chosen because we were predestined according to the one, the plan of him who works out everything to conformity of the purpose of his will. I remember I, in, in high school, you got introduced to like, you know, the, the sovereign. And until you wrap your mind around that word sovereign or sovereignty, it's kind of a bizarre word and it's kind of a, you know, kind of a difficult thing. But I remember when as a kid, I read Ephesians and I'm like, oh, that's sovereignty right there. Because we were chosen and predestined into whom? The person, the being whose plan is worked out in conformity with the purpose of their will. If you can work out a plan in conformity with the purposes of your will, you are sovereign. You are in control. You are almighty. You are, the buck stops with you. And so that's what I have to hang my hat on. That's what I have to hope on. So we were chosen by a God who has everything under control in order that we who are first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And then you also. So here he's talking about the, 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 the Jews in this time. They were the first chosen by God. It's kind of interesting. When we know that we have the body of Christ, everybody has their gift. Not everybody should be up here talking. Not everybody should be singing. Not everybody should be serving. Not everybody should be greeting. But when we have everybody's gift in a community, the whole place has what it needs, doesn't it? And I think as God has been unfolding his plan through history, he's even raised up nations to be one thing or another. And he raised up the Hebrew people to be that, 
forgotten, rejected, kicked to the side, off in the corner kingdom to be the one through which the savior of the universe will come. But other kingdoms bring us uh, liberty. Other, king, other kingdoms bring us ingenuity. Other kingdoms bring us... We have things that God is doing with the nations, but none of them are complete, and none of them are whole, and none of the nations are eternal. But God has brought us up so that we may put our, all put our hope in Christ, that we may all be put for the praise of his glory. And that's where the tapestry gets really difficult for us to understand. But we hang our hat, we hang our hope that we who are in Christ will be brought through to the very end and will be praising him in glory. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. I know the predestination term gives some people comfort and some people just total anxiety. But it's a two-sided coin because God chooses you, but you had to hear the word of truth and you had to receive and believe You had to hear and choose to follow Jesus. And so whether you feel like you chose God or you recognize that God chose you, just let's not parse that all out. Let's Let's just be grateful that we know God. Let's just be grateful that we have a God who cares, who has a plan, and wants to include you and me in it. You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. Some of us had to hear that message a long time, didn't we? Some of us had to hear it, and then hear it again, and then hear it again, and hear it again. Some of us heard it, and it flourished, and we were like one of those weeds, one of those, uh, one of those, one of those that grew up and got choked out by the weeds. Remember Jesus had the parable where he, the gospel was scattered amongst the different places? Some of us have had times in our life where the good news of Jesus was choked out, and we were not living by it or with it or in it for years, maybe even decades. And then it is awakened again by his grace and mercy. I had a dear friend who was raised in the church in Lebanon. He's a Presbyterian. And I was getting to know him. And I said, well, I'm a Presbyterian. Do you want to come to church with us? He said, sure. He was 84. He lived till 87, I think. And he became a member of our church. He became a member of our family. And I saw this man actually unlock and awaken the experience that Jesus loves him. He was a baptized believer who just not, you know, lived for the world for 40 years, 50 years. But even then, I just saw that God's not done. And when those of us who believe in Jesus' name, God will not forsake you. He will not let you go. He will see you. He will know you. He will love you. He will let you do some things that you are surprised he lets you do. But he will not let go of you. Why? Because when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession. Friends, later on this year, we're going to take a look at all the teachings and all that we need to know about the Holy Spirit. The fact that God marks us, fills us, seals us, communes with us through his spirit, the Piece of the, a part of the triune God actually dwells in us. I don't claim to understand it, but we're going to look at that. But let me just tell you today, you can have confidence that God is not done with you or this world because he's given us the inheritance of the Holy Spirit. Here in a little bit, we're going to taste the table again. And clearly, afterwards, you're going to go somewhere and you're going to have a better meal. This is not going to satisfy you as a meal. 
but it's just a foretaste. In the same way that as we worship and live this life, we get tastes, we get glimpses, we get foreshadowings and foretastes of the full kingdom of God to the praise of his glory. So friends, I encourage you this day that as we walk in this life, don't get discouraged because you're too close to the painting. Don't get discouraged because you don't have the London Eye or the John Hancock Building view of what God is doing in your life. But just take hope. Secure your hope in Christ because he rose, because he lives, and because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Amen? Lord, be with us this day as we try to follow you, as we seek to be aligned with you. Lord, let us join with Demario Davis in just knowing that we have a true north in Christ Jesus, that we have in Christ a life and things to live for that are larger than ourselves and things that we can see. Lord, help us to know that we can not only stay on path, but we can be brought back and be forgiven and to be loved. And Lord, we pray that you would indeed make us holy and blameless so that when people see and know that we are Christians, they see Jesus himself as much as we can so that they too can see and hope in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.